the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. Uh, And before we go on to uh, today's episode, we had a really good reaction last week, Ben, to the, uh, the ghost ships episode that we did. Oh, yeah. If you haven't heard it, go back and have a listen. It's a nice mix of paranormal tales and just some general weirdness about ships on the ocean right and abandoned boats um Mm. one of the stories that really uh sparked a lot of interest was one uh featured about the ss orang meden i don't know if you remember that story ben but it was the one where uh there was a message that came from the ship uh which was uh somebody over the radio saying all officers dead including the captain dead lying on chart room on the bridge probably whole crew dead i die and then rescuers are said to have found the ship saw a gruesome sight but before they could investigate the mystery there was an explosion and the ship sunk and went to the bottom so uh lots of people have been wowed by that story it is quite a well-known story it's kind of uh next level down i guess to the mary celeste which we also feature in that podcast Lots of people said they've heard of that story uh, and were interested in it. We have, as we are for the believers, the skeptics and everybody in between, we did have uh, some social media comments from Chrissy Nye Gibbons, uh, who was questioning basically that it's not a real story. It's an urban myth. Um, So, yeah, she sent a link, which is great. We love it when people do that. Sent a couple of links to a couple of articles about it. I'm not sure it's as clear cut as it not being real because I think the main reason that people say it didn't exist is because it never appeared in Lloyd's shipping register. But there are so there are also reports that the vessel was renamed after it was part of the register or if it was a smuggler's ship or something like that it may not be on there at all it did feature in a number of newspaper reports and articles so there's lots of evidence for it the evidence against it is the register the fact that stories about it have changed over the years and the one that i thought about it ben i don't know if you thought about it at the time it did feel like a convenience that it did sink before any investigation could be done. It blew up, right? That does sound a little perfect. Yeah, it's the perfect way to end a mysterious story with no evidence. Yeah, although having said that, if it was made up, I didn't really understand the reports of, you know, there's reports of all kinds of chemicals on board and nitroglycerin and stuff like that, which would lend to a non-paranormal spooky tale, just one of... Uh, of natural circumstances or misadventure i guess they'd say so uh, i don't know i think it will remain a mystery it's not a clear cut but thanks chrissy for pointing out the other side we did cover a little bit of the other side but uh, i didn't mention the lloyd's thing at the time because it was quite detailed but i think it was worth pointing that out so uh thank you for that keep keep uh giving us your opinions on our stories and if you've got any additional information let us know because we love that the other weird thing about last week's episode ben i don't know if you agree as soon as we published it literally within a few hours that boat blocked the suez canal oh yes and the ever given yeah yeah how weird was that 
and I just, you know, I was thinking, I wonder in, you know, uh, I was wondering in years to come whether people will look back at that story and say, what, so hold on, this ship blocked this canal, one ship, and caused, you know, billions of pounds, dollars worth of damage to the world economy. That can't be true. So I wonder if that's a kind of fable for the future. Yeah, well... As we record, I think I saw last night there are 330 ships waiting to pass. Yeah. Wow. So not a ghost ship as such, but more weirdness on the high seas. So if you get a chance and you haven't heard it, it's the uh, episode before this one. Go and have a listen, see what you think. Let us know what you think as well. Um, And thanks for everyone who did let us know what they thought and provided us with comments and information about it as well so go ships go check it out the one thing i will say just the last thing on the ever given although it says evergreen on the side i guess that is the company that owns it i think that's the parent company yeah ah right okay i hadn't appreciated how narrow the panama canal is like to me that is like the time that i rented sort of by accident a range rover in greece and had to drive down (laughs) some of the greek roads like terrifyingly small for such a wide car that i wasn't used to and (laughs) i i do have a bit of sympathy for the guys who and girls who navigate that canal because that seems quite narrow for such an enormous thing i I agree with you i knew it was narrow but i didn't realize you could only really get one ship down there at a time no no when i thought narrow i thought they meant like you know five ships width or something not like one and a half that is that is ridiculous yeah and i did think you know we talked about the people on crew with if the company goes bust they don't get paid if they leave the ship Mm. and obviously it's a high-risk business like you say how many was ships are backed up now 330 as of last night you've got to think that some of those parent companies are going to go bust right because some of them will have, uh, I guess, will have cargo that is time-sensitive. So They'll yeah. be insured, surely. Well, this is it. Oh, they, will they? You know, are, are we going to have a wave of ghost ships coming up in the next decade? That's my prediction. Well, for the sake of the people, I hope not. But for the sake of our podcast... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's very much hope they do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping our, podca- our, our episode on ghost ships was uh, not cause and effect, right? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, is you've affected the time space continuum somehow. Yeah. Yeah. My little butterfly wings have caused the boat to drift sideways and block the Suez Canal. Well, and- look, it's interesting you say butterflies. Um, because butterflies are great pollinators of plants. You see what I did there? Oh, segue. And what is the most terrifying plant in the world, do you think? Fictional well, or not? Uh, fic- I always think of a triffid. It's a triffid, isn't it? Yeah. 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 E- even though I think triffids are much more scary in imagination than actually on screen. On screen, they're slightly rubbish. It's true, but there's something amazing about that story. It's a bit like uh, the start of 28 Days Later, isn't it? Which obviously lifted a bit from that story. That that waking up and everything's 
gone to pot. Do you know what I mean? Everything's gone crazy. And I think the the thing in Day of the Triff is that the majority of the population have gone blind, which is a, is a good vehicle for these rather slow-moving but vicious plants to get you. I love that story. I do love that story. Yeah, I do. Although, I don't know if you've seen the remake. It's quite poor. No. But... It's oh, not. Yeah. I don't. There was a good TV series when I was a kid. I seem to remember which because the original film wasn't that great either. The no, story, no. The the book's good, and there was a. I don't know if it was BBC or ITV. It was TV BBC. Series. Yeah, yeah. That that was. I remember it being good at the time, although I've not seen it since. Yeah, no, it was. It was good, but it was typically in that era of, like, it was much scarier for kids who were accidentally up late with their parents than it was for the parents. Right, right. It's probably not um, held water when you get above a certain age. Well, the thing is, is like the triffids get you by blinding you, so like it can't be helped to think. Well, if you just wore goggles, then you'd be fine. But yeah, although there was that thing where wasn't there a meteor shower? Or is that just in the film? Uh, no, I think there is. Well, didn't that? Yeah, that's how that they come blind, to Earth. But yeah. they do blind you, don't they? That, there is that connection. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. come and seek you out and blind you. But but anyway, more scary than that would be something that was. Real. So this week, I'm looking at real killer plants. So I'm not talking Venus flytraps. Yeah. Although I do have a pet Venus flytrap, and he has never caught a single fly. But um, same, we had one as well, and we actually like if we found a dead fly in the house, we'd put it in there and kind of, and it still wouldn't even eat it. So I, I don't know how they survive the Venus. Maybe you got a vegetarian one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's vegan. I had the world's first vegan fly trap. I, I've, I've bought some um, spray to feed mine because I felt sorry for it. Right. But um, I, there is, and I was vaguely aware of this um, before I started researching, which was where I got the idea from. But um, the Madagascan man-eating tree is something i'm in <laughs> i don't care what the story is ben i'm in <laughs> <laughs> well you might know madagascar for its vanilla yeah but there was a picture <laughs> there was a picture of this tree in strand magazine in 1899 well i say picture it's an illustration but they were reporting on this polish biologist and uh, again, excuse the pronunciation, but Dr. Omelius Fredlowski. Great um, And he was, he had written a letter to Strand Magazine relaying a story that was apparently told to him by a German explorer who was visiting a primitive tribe called the Makodos uh, in, in Mag- Madagascar. And he wrote to him this this letter which detailed this really bizarre and, well, it's described as a grotesque tree in which, to which this tribe used to sacrifice some of its own. Wow. And he gives, uh, he gives a really detailed account of what this tree looks like. So he says, and this is the direct quote, if you can imagine a pineapple eight feet high and thick in proportion, resting upon its base and denuded of leaves, you will have a good idea of the trunk of the tree, a dark, dingy brown and apparently as hard as iron. 
From the apex of this truncated cone, eight leaves hung sheer to the ground. These leaves were about 11 or 12 feet long, tapering to a sharp point that looked like a cow's horn and with a concave face thickly set with strong, thorny hooks. The apex of the cone was a round, white, concave figure like a smaller plate set within a longer one. This was not a flower, but a receptacle, and there exuded into it a clear, treacly liquid, honey-sweet, and possessed of violent, intoxicating and soporific properties. From underneath the rim of the undermost plate, a series of long, hairy, green tendrils stretched out in every direction. These were seven or eight feet long. Above these, six white, almost transparent tentacles reared themselves towards the sky, twirling and twisting with a marvellous incessant motion, thin as reeds. Apparently, they were yet four or six feet tall. So you get this really... I've got to say, Ben, I'm just, I, I did li- do a little Google and I think I found the image you're talking about. That description is spot on. Right. This thing is like, that's terrifying. It, it looks a bit like like a, a tree size insect r- rather than a plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's, there's that sort of pineapple-y um, idea to it, the sort of... Um, sort of stout stumpiness like an abdomen isn't it and it's uh, yeah yeah Yeah, but what he's describing there is um you know you you can imagine it in miniature for uh for flies and stuff right so the fly trap apparently has a scent and then you've got that um that other one which is almost like a bottle yeah, like a funnel, a and once they get stuck in, they can't come out. That's right? right, and the lid sort of pops down. So what he's sort of describing here is something of gigantic proportions, and the the lure is almost like a, a drug. But he goes on to describe how he watched the natives um, basically force a woman with their spears to climb up the trunk until she stood at the summit and then when she drank this liquid the plant basically grabbed her and um (laughs) i won't read the description because it's uh it's a little bit not safe if you're playing this in a car with uh with younger people but basically what he's saying is that the um the thorns and whatever they get her and this thing is sort of vampirous wow wow um and then he goes on to say that uh the the liquor is then used by the tribe in a sort of post um sacrificial like celebration if you like you don't want to be the one who has to go up and collect it though do you (laughs) <laughs> no, God, no, no, no. John, it's your go. Get up there. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not going. Forget it. Um, but this this really caused a bit of a sensation. And we're sort of talking at the time when, you know, there are explorers who were still able to find things that aren't known to the Western world. And these things aren't necessarily considered fables. They're considered things that people could go and find right can i just ask a couple of questions Mm, yeah uh so the the explorer who 
came across this thing. Mm. Do, do, is it your impression that this was a one-off plant or, or were they uh, uh, supposedly all over the island? Was there a, a colony or was it just a, one special plant? Uh, well, so um, I think the implication is that if you got one, there you is, more, yeah. you've, you've got more. But um, the where I was going was he isn't the only person to have reported this species in madagascar so later on there is a a chap called chase salmon osborne which is a great name what's your name chase salmon (laughs) what did your parents do (laughs) don't know um they were undertakers yeah (laughs) 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 i really hate fish um he was governor of Michigan from 1911 to 1913, and he travelled to Madagascar in the early 1920s specifically because he knew Madagascar as being called the, the land of the man-eating tree. That was wow. how he knew it. And so it, it this legend had populated all the way around sort of the Western world so the Strand magazine, it's it doesn't have that greater an influence. So you can imagine that it is just reflecting um, something that is sort of a, you know a rumor that is going around yeah. society. Sadly for him, he has no. There is no um, record of him ever finding the tree. Right. But it does. Uh, the tree is so well uh, reported that there is a Bombay physician, Dr. Barwu Daji, who gives it a Latin name. So um, it's, been, it's been named. So is, does that mean he claims it as a species? or does, Well, uh, no. Know, he, you, surely there must be proof, right? You have to give. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he he does name it after himself. He calls it Crinoida Daji, Dajiana. Right. Yes, Dagiana. So that's his that's his surname. And the um the first part of it uh basically is a uh, a note to crinoids which are sea lilies sort of starfish right. related things to represent what he believes that the tree looks like. I love so, the fact we're delving into the world of unofficial bootleg plant naming. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Superb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm. Well, I, I really like the fact that um, I mean he's a doctor and he's respected, and you know, his first thing is, yeah, this man-eating tree, which has been rarely reported. I'll just name it. Yeah. I'll just name it. It does say something about him, though, doesn't it? I'm going to go for a tree that devours humans. Uh, yes. I, I, you know, hello, doctor. <laughs> I'm a bit worried about a, a, cons- a consultation with him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just put your finger in here. Where? <laughs> well, later on, there are people who sort of um, slightly dismiss this and it becomes... It doesn't become a figure of sort of um, ridicule, but what people who are sort of putting themselves forward as knowledgeable say is, look, this thing might exist. Um, 
there might be these huge forest areas in parts of Madagascar that are worth exploring and perhaps there is something there but a lot of sort of um less hot-headed um sort of doctors and naturalists say is look maybe there's a tree which has evolved to for example trap monkeys and make use of their fur you could imagine sorry not their fur their meat so you could imagine that a i thought you were going to say started wearing coats yeah (laughs) (laughs) what the hell is this plant these are very fashionable trees (laughs) um but you could imagine a tree where rather than it having animated tendrils, which sort of makes it more animalistic, it has maybe thick thorns which capture small monkeys and then the decaying right. animal sort of feeds the roots. And that, and that's what they're saying is like perhaps yeah. you it's, are It's an exaggeration mistaken. of something it's exaggeration, that's probably yes. smaller but does, you know, because there are examples of plants that do this thing this kind of thing but not quite on that you know industrial size scale um a couple of questions um because i'm looking at images now and they're all artwork Mm. so i'm assuming that in more modern times there's been no uh there's been no there is no photograph no um the other question that i don't assume that was the case the other question that i had was is it part of madagascan uh folklore or is it a kind of western adventure invention of this man who found it is is there a history of this in madagascan culture no it's very much a western trope right it's western explorers and that's where like there is a perhaps a dark side of this i don't know how dark it is but you can imagine uh, you know oh uh, this is uh, this is fred he has been off to madagascar and seen amazing things what did you see fred yeah. they ask him at the bar of the gentleman's club in or, 1908 or trying to get funding for another expedition right we'll yeah, just yeah. make something up get some money right exactly exactly and this whole reporting of these tribes, people who are sacrificing these, you know, members of their own, like what is missing from the account, it's quite uh, lurid and uh, I suppose dramatic, but he never gives a reason why they would do this you know is do they believe that the tree embodies a god or something like that there would have to be a reason for it and it it feels like the reason that that is missing from the story is because perhaps either either it didn't happen or he's seeing something which he didn't understand i must i must admit looking at the the artwork for it and your description because i was looking at the artwork and we will put this we always do a photo album for every episode so if you go to at tqm podcast on facebook and go to twitter as well we'll put it we'll put images up both um i mean it's pretty detailed description and it does look an impressive thing so if it is a made-up thing he's gone to town in kind of conceptualizing it which Mm. makes you think that they're 
like you said, it could be an exaggeration of something he's seen that's either much smaller or, you know, uh, or, or some kind of myth that he's latched onto. But it's quite a detailed description and it is amazing looking thing from the artwork I've seen. Well, that that is true, although, you know, there aren't any decent sci-fi books where the description isn't inspiring you know even if yeah, you true, true. go yeah. back to dracula the de- yeah. the description of dracula's face is pretty compelling and yet it, it doesn't exist you'll be, um, tell- you'll be telling me the easter bunny's not real next i'm not telling you that okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but this the the sort of the point about this is that we've kind of We've got this sort of like even the word Madagascar is quite exotic. Even yeah. today, I think it's exotic. But back in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, the beginning of the twentieth century, it was probably even more exotic because you couldn't just go and search and buy an airline ticket to go there. Yeah. And so you get all of these, um, whether they're real or not, these uh, killer plants coming from very exotic parts exotic of the part. world i've got it so, sorry i've got a feeling of your guy he arrived mm, in madagascar sat himself down on the beach and went i'm loving this <laughs> <laughs> got himself the equivalent of a late 1800s cocktail and spent like three weeks just on the beach and just went oh shit i'm gonna have to go back with something <laughs> yeah, gonna, so oh, man eating what did you find uh i did a picture <laughs> shit yeah he just spent he just spent a month on the beach didn't he if you look in his notebook he's like right people with seven legs no yeah. cross that out no that's that's no good <laughs> there seems to be a lot of sand in your notebook <laughs> <laughs> what are these drips <laughs> oh that's blood <laughs> but if we move on slightly further in the 1900s in um 1932 we have reports of a captain thomas w h Saal of middlesex quite grand yeah. he went to the amazon to try to bring back a brazilian devil tree so a brazilian devil tree is said to be the size of a willow tree and it doesn't uh, necessarily go for humans apparently it ambushes any prey which moves over his branches its wow. branches he or she um and it was again one of these rumors that went around from explorers who had gone deep into uh, the amazonian rainforest and this guy believed it so much he said right i'll go there and this is a time like it's hard to sort of comprehend but 1932 is very much at the tail end but still in the era where people are going to go and collect exotic plants and they bring them back and put them in private collections or even in public collections so places like Kew Gardens even but if you look at for example the Victorian um glass gardens in say somewhere in the north of england like buxton what you have there are collectors from around the world finding these plants that nobody has ever you know grown or seen before i must must look weird as well i mean I, i i often think the first time a pineapple was bought to britain i mean 
just looking at that, you just think, it's so bizarre looking, right? Mm. Yeah. Well, pineapples were, they were so well regarded that it was, obviously it was a sign of great wealth. That's why yeah. on the, on the uh, gates of big stately homes in the UK, you have carved pineapples, which yeah. resemble the wealth of the people inside. Yeah. Indeed, there was a point in history where a, a whole house in London could be swapped for a single nutmeg. That's true. Wow, really? Yeah. That's exactly- I've tried it, and it does not work anymore. <laughs> yeah, your local estate agent's like, yeah, get out of here. But, um, <laughs> yeah, they know but- it's 500,000, but how many nutmegs? But that's interesting, isn't it? It's like, you, you know, exploration is exotic. These places are exotic. You that's can, right. You can come back with stuff that's quite simple, which would blow your mind like a pineapple or a bit of nutmeg you know to come back with these kind of tales you just see it capturing the public imagination can't you yes absolutely and and i think that's the the thing that um this person was probably trying to do i don't imagine that our thomas sal is necessarily so gullible i think the brazilian deviltry you know by this time people know about carnivorous plants they know about the venus flytrap and things like that and it isn't beyond the realms of possibility that there is a willow-sized version of that that captures for example birds or whatever it is and and it doesn't necessarily just have to be for its own uh food because it, it could be for any number of reasons that we haven't yet imagine like maybe it captures and kills birds to attract yeah. monkeys to eat the bird meat because the monkeys yeah, yeah. pollinate its le- uh, its flowers it could be for any of those reasons yeah. so i don't think he's mad at all it's just that it is one of those rumors that gets out of control that means that some somewhere in 1932 this man goes you know what I'm off to find this Brazilian devil tree. And I don't think he would have been considered nuts by his friends. He would have just been like, well, you know what? If you find that, you'll be a rich man because, you know, you'd probably be able to take it to the queen. And, you know, maybe, you know, you'll get yourself named after it and she will grow it in the gardens of Buckingham Palace. Well, that's the king at that time, isn't it? Mm. But, you know, it'll become something that you'd be lauded for. You'd be Well, well known considering nuts and brazil <laughs> you wouldn't be would you considering nuts um oh <laughs> um, <God. laughs> I, just, I yeah i mean it's so well like i said i guess if you're an explorer there to get funding for a, an expedition you need a little bit of panache don't you and a good tale to get people mm. to invest and actually like as you're saying you know if if things like a pineapple are such a status that people are incorporating them into their stately home designs on a major level that you know if you're a wealthy person at that point you might just go yeah it's probably a load of old bunkum but it might be worth a punt right oh uh, it, it is it's completely worth a punt because it 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 not only gives you some sort of status but like you said it perhaps gives you the funding to go and do 
you know, more of this in the future. It gives you a reason for, uh, you know, for getting out and being um, funded by a company or whatever. Yeah. I mean, don't forget, like our, what we would call uh, common or garden rhododendron is exactly that. That is yeah. bought back by travellers. It is the, um, it's the national plant, uh oh where is it from i have completely forgotten but it is the national plant of nepal there you go it's the national flower of nepal yeah so it that was something that was bought back by explorers bred and you know rhododendrons are you know pretty standard fare yeah. in all british gardens and you know you could find yourself you know if you were this guy Oh, right. I've found a way of getting all the squirrels in your garden. You know, I think that's probably the way we're at. So the Brazilian devil tree, he's, so if I remember the story from the start of the conversation, he, he saw like a monkey or something walk over its roots and how did it then capture it? Did it like a bit like the whomping willow in? No, no, no. He, he didn't, he, he didn't. Oh, sorry. You mean the, um, the Brazilian devil tree? Nobody has, nobody has seen it. It's just a rumor. Okay, all right. It was a it was a rumor that uh, Captain Saul picked up on. Okay, so he didn't see it himself. He didn't see. It. No, he went. He went off to see see if he could find it. Find Couldn't it. find it. Got it. Okay. Um, but there are some others <laughs> that are equally in uh, sort of exotic regions that people claim to have seen. So the Mexican snake tree oh. is up next, oh, and this is great unsurprisingly this is from mexico yeah does it look like a snake well i'll tell you because this is a account given in uh september 1892 a late traveler was in mexico on a botanical expedition one day he observed a dark object on one of the outlying spurs of the sierra mondre mountains which so excited his curiosity, he, ex- he examined it carefully through his field glass. He saw it was a tree of such an unusual appearance, he decided to visit the spot. He rode on horseback to within a few rods of the summit. I like the rods, by the way. That's, yeah, a, that's a good measurement. Yeah. When he came to an abrupt rise, he could not climb. On the top stood the tree. He saw it had long, slender limbs drooping like a weeping willow. There's a reference to a weeping willow again. Yeah. They had a slimy, smoky appearance, and at times the whole tree seemed to writhe. His curiosity led him again and again to visit the spot to learn more, if possible, about this a horrible tree. So this is <laughs> the, the punctuation there is weird, but that's because it is from an account. So I wasn't uh, just stumbling there. Yep. It's uh, he, he is saying that this is, this is a horrible tree. <laughs> One day he saw a bird circle about it for some time and then a light on the top. Then the branches began to move and curl upwards. They turned around the bird, which began to cry and drew it down until he lost sight of it. The botanist tried, as he had several times before, to climb to the steep rock on which, uh, sorry, to climb to the steep. So I think what he's saying there is the steep is the apex of this uh, uh, hill. The rock on which he stepped loosened and fell himself with it. He was not injured, 
and he found that he uh, the rock had left quite a cavity. He looked in and saw a cavern and felt a current of fresh air blowing in his face. With his trowel, he enlarged the hole so as to admit uh, so as to admit of his dis- ascent. He saw the flattened body of the bird fall to the ground, which was covered with bones and feathers. He approached the tree as closely as he dared. It was not above 20 feet in height, but covered a great area. Its trunk was of prodigious thickness, knotted and scaly. From the top of this trunk, a few feet from the ground, its slimy branches curved upwards and downwards, nearly touching the ground with their tips. On his venturing to touch slightly one of the limbs, it closed upon his hand with such force it tore the skin when he wrenched it away. The next day, he visited the tree, carrying several chickens with which to feed it. <laughs> I feel really bad for these chickens. Yeah. It's like I think yeah, this is definitely a different time. The moment he tossed the fowls into the branches, they began to sway to and fro with a sh- snaky motion. After they had become gorged, they were perfectly quiet, and he ventured to approach and examine them closely. They were covered with suckers similar to those of the octopus. The blood of the fowls had been absorbed, leaving crimson stains on their surface. And then, this is like an afterthought, there was no foliage whatsoever on the tree. So, um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you would have thought he might have brought that up earlier in yeah. the story. It's like an afterthought. I fed it chickens. Yeah. Oh, there weren't any leaves. Yeah. Um, that sounds terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, this is another one of our Western explorers who goes to Mexico and reports this cryptid carnivorous plant. And I call it cryptid because yeah. there are precious few reports of this thing when i was doing the investigation yes there are one or two eyewitness sightings beyond this but they sort of take the form of have you ever seen the mexican snake tree um i might have uh none go so far as as this guy who actually fed it chickens and there is this um it's hard to follow that sorry just quick question yeah. So in my mind, I've got this vision of the branches as snakes with with um, snakes' heads and tongues and all that stuff. But he's not really saying that, is he? He's kind of no, describing no. it more like an octopus. Yeah, I think he's calling it snakes because of the, the, the arriving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we've got this weird uh, sort of story about this cavern that he appears to be describing, which is below the tree and what's kind of curious about this is that there is some way that uh within the short amount of time that he has been there the bird has been basically digested and then somehow through the trunk and the roots there's like it's almost like he's he's imagining this thing but hasn't thought it through yeah that when he swallows some food his food goes into his stomach and then out of the other end comes the waste product. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay, so the tree eats the bird and then the bird somehow goes through underneath the tree, yeah. underneath the roots, and then he sees all this, these bones and feathers. And, 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 and slightly me, convenient that he dislodges the rock and finds uh, that. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And the whole thing doesn't make any real sense because even if 
even if we sort of give him the benefit of the doubt, and it does have to be a huge benefit of the doubt, that this thing can devour a bird in, let's say, an hour. Let's say that's possible. How does it, like, he's he's in he's giving it a digestive system which like yeah. <laughs> the the tree has a bottom that comes out by its roots and therefore this tree must have to grow on top of a cavern and somehow it manages to through its woody trunk pass bones and feathers it's like i i think it's very obvious that this is uh, sort of an ill-thought-out exaggeration. Of uh, exaggeration, he's, or he's or seen com- he's seen a snake in a tree and thought, "Oh, that's an idea." Mm, mm. I mean, to me, it sounds like somebody playing around with um, uh, some sort of character in a book or something like that. Yeah, and but I, it's I've interesting. Got this anyway. vision, I've got this vision of him going to buy the chickens. I'll have twelve of your best yeah. chickens, please. Oh, you having a big party? No, it's a big tree. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I, I just love that idea of, oh, what am I going to do with this tree? Oh. Just feed it chickens. Oh, no, I'll calm it down. I'll get some chickens. And again, I'm assuming there's no kind of local folklore about this. None that, none that I know of, no. And, and also... It's a great story, though. It's a great image. It got, is a great image. You've got to give him 10 of, out of 10 for creative writing. Yeah, I think what there there are some really peculiar bits aside from the awkwardness of the writing, which you can put down to eighteen ninety two. Some of the things sort of don't like the fact he says it has a smoky appearance. I don't know what that means. It doesn't like. Are you talking that they look as if they've uh, the the branches look as if they've been doused in smoke so they're black and dank or are you saying that there's like a mist rising off them it's not very clear and as i say i really love that this full incredibly detailed story that he's like there was no foliage it's like as if someone went what are the leaves like he's like fine there were no leaves all right yeah that is brilliant <laughs> so so that i suppose you could if you were giving it a double benefit the doubt you could go well it's a tree that doesn't uh do photosynthesis because there is if it hasn't got any leaves it can't it can't have any chloroform yeah oh chlorophyll sorry chloroform is completely different yeah. don't don't buy chloroform chloroform and therefore well, it, it, it would have kept the chickens quiet Absolutely. Well, maybe it does have chloroform. Maybe that was a Freudian slip. Um, you won't be surprised to know that this one is from the Guianan Brazilian border near Venezuela. Okay. And it is the monkey eating tree. Nice. <laughs> so this one is reported by a Brazilian explorer, Mariano da Silva. So thank Christ his name isn't too difficult to pronounce. Otherwise, I might have missed this one out. Yeah. Um, so according to uh, Silver, he claimed to have encountered one and he says that it secretes a very distinctive smell which is attractive to monkeys and it causes the monkeys to climb up its trunk and then when they're up there, the tree's leaves envelop, uh, em- uh, envelop the monkey and 
And then the best bit of his description, he says it it renders them invisible and inaudible as they are digested. And then several days later, the leaves unfurl and the monkey's bones drop to the forest floor. So you kind of go, okay, I mean, like, maybe it kills them so quickly that you can't hear them. Uh, Rendering them invisible and inaudible, I suppose what he's saying is it completely covers them. I think perhaps uh, I'm being disingenuous about his use of those two terms, although I think they're he's using them in a fairly uh, strange way. Um, it reminds then, me of that flower with the it's the one that's got the largest bloom. What's it called? Is it? The, oh, yeah, the, the, refuge, uh, the one that uh, smells of flesh. Yeah, it's, it smells of rotting flesh, and the idea yes. is that that's to attract uh, flies and other insects to it. But so you know, it's not. It's not a million miles away from that concept, is it? It, it isn't, no. But the, there is a... Uh, in the account that I found of this, there is a, uh, a biologist called Carl Schuker who uh, critiques... who He's critiquing all of these cryptid right. carnivorous plants. Yeah. And he says, well, this... What you're talking about here is a mechanism very similar to the Venus flytrap. We've referenced this before. Yeah. But he says to... To capture something the size of a monkey, the leaves would have to be extraordinarily tough and inflexible. And that's true, isn't it? I mean, they'd have yeah. to be like like leather. I mean... Otherwise like, it would get away. Otherwise it would get away or chew through it. through it. I mean, even a chimp, which is, you know, nowhere near as big as a human, yeah. is lethal when it's, yeah. uh, when it's challenged. You know, it can rip you limb from limb. Yeah, yeah. And, and even a small, like a capuchin monkey, that is not defenseless. Those things have power. Yeah. And it's, also you've got to, I suppose the other thing about this is, like you've got to consider evolution in that and monkeys come in all shapes and sizes and have different specialisms so this tree is going to have to have evolved alongside its prey species Mm. and it because that smell is going to have to remain attractive to it depending on what that monkey's diet is and the leaves have got to be designed to capture that particular size of monkey and be resistant to whatever sort of like teeth and claws that it has and also the monkey would uh, you know through evolution wouldn't it over time well realize this is very much the thing right Uh, so we know that we have observed monkeys using tools they've we know that they have learned how to use spears to catch fish that sort of thing the fact that you could imagine over the millions of years that this must have evolved that the monkeys haven't gone you know what, maybe we won't go up that tree because it always kills us is very, very hard to believe. Whereas, you know, a Venus flytrap flies pretty much the same size around the world, yeah. pretty much all like the same smell wherever they are in the world. Simple, simpler creatures. creatures. Yeah, they're not going to learn not yeah. to fly into that. They get eaten by everything. Like, it's uh, it, Unless it this, is not this thing only eats monkeys on special occasions. <laughs> like a treat. <laughs> It's a birthday monkey eating tree. Yeah, yeah. Well, not even that. Yeah, every hundred years. <laughs> I, I think the the key thing about this, as I keep saying, I think the thing, the ongoing 
thing is that this is described as coming from the Guiana and Brazilian border, which once again, if you're in a gentleman's club in the middle of London, it sounds like, you know, oh, Charles has given me a thousand pounds to travel to the Guiana and Brazilian border to find a monkey eating tree. Uh, because he wants it for his private collection. You know, that is how I think these things come out. Although, I will say that this was reported by a Brazilian explorer. So, right. like. I don't, I'm, I'm getting an impression now that the great age of the explorer, they're all just having a laugh, aren't they? They're just, they're all on a beach. They're all just having fun. They're all drinking, drinking away, having a nice holiday. You know, you're just. I wonder how many of them actually did anything when they got out there. Maybe they're not even going abroad. Maybe they're all just going to Saint-Tropez. I believe that is the plot of Blackadder the second or third. Oh, there you go. It's obviously gone in there subconsciously. When Tom Baker is the captain and they decide to go to Calais. Yeah, there you go. Well, it's it's completely possible, but I I also like I keep saying I think there is this like if it sounds exotic, it's probably you, you know those old maps where it's like here be monsters yeah, in yeah. the sea. I think it's the equivalent of that. This this one, um, the vampire plant from the jungles of Mexico. This one was reported by a French explorer who claims to have seen it firsthand, and I really like this. His direct translation in his first description is enormous plant. <laughs> so um, it he says that it killed a small bird. So his his short sort of story of it is suddenly I saw Domingo, the leader of the guides, standing before an enormous plant and making gestures for me to go to him. I wondered what could be the matter. I soon saw the plant had just captured a bird. The poor creature had alighted on one of the leaves, which had promptly closed, its thorns penetrating the body of the little victim, which endeavoured vainly to escape, screaming, meanwhile in agony and terror. Plant vampire, explained Domingo, a cruel smile spreading over his face. Involuntarily, I shuddered. The forest was casting its evil spell upon me. Now, look, that sounds not like the account of an explorer, but a passage from some fiction book yeah uh, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense and but there are i guess i guess i mean again i'm no i'm no horticultural expert but i guess there are species that do Wait, you've misled me then <laughs> yeah i know sorry <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to the wrong podcast shit um <laughs> you know i guess i guess it does play on that theme of uh predatory plants you know whether they be kind of weeds that take over other plants or do you know what i mean and i guess it's playing on that theme isn't it and ramping it up a little bit yeah oh yeah completely i completely agree i mean like the last one of the uh sort of un uncredible un proven more ones. speculative speculative yeah yeah crypto plants um is the dog eating tree of nicaragua <laughs> um <laughs> and uh there was a british chap called dr andrew wilson 
And he wrote about this tree, which is said to grow in the remote jungles of Nicaragua and apparently was uh, intensely feared by the indigenous populations. Um, So the story goes that Wilson came across an article by a naturalist called Dunstan who had discovered this strange plant. Dunstan was apparently a seasoned explorer and he was searching for a new species of vegetation with his dog, uh uh-oh, near an unknown oh, lake. Oh, I know what's coming. Yeah, schoolboy error here. <laughs> yeah. While he was searching around, Dunstan heard his dog yelping from a distance, panicked and clearly in distress. The researcher followed the cries and rushed through the thick vegetation to find his dog completely wrapped and being squeezed in what looked like rope, except on closer inspection it was actually roots and a vine-like plant matter. He described it like the branches of a weeping willow. There we go, the weeping willow. I'm beginning to think that weeping willows have a little backstory that we aren't clear about. Yeah, I'm worried about Uh, them now. And he says they were laced around the body of his dog. What was most alarming to Dunstan was that the vines seemed to be excreting a black gum-like substance from small pores on the surface of the plant. Shocked, Dunstan managed to react quickly, and with great difficulty he cut through the vines, thick, heavy and sticky, I, I know how they feel. <laughs> he eventually managed to free his dog uh, that when dropped to the ground upon release was stained with blood. The poor creature staggered off, drained and exhausted. It had been sucked by an unknown vampire plant. Listeners, it's okay. I checked it lived. It's okay. It's okay. Wow. Um, so there is a speculation here that perhaps this was the same species or family as the Mexican snake tree. Uh, but right. he he basically says that the uh, the idea is the you know it's roughly the same a carnivorous plant right. capable of subduing large prey and in some cases something as large as a human. That's kind of where we're at. And see again, I'm seeing them in some gentleman's club, and the guy who did the Mexican snake tree goes, "No, no, they they did buy it, and I and I got funding. I did. Yeah, I went back." It's like, God, oh, the, the Mexican snake tree's been taken. What, kind of, uh, uh, what about a dog eater? Dog eating vampire plant. I'll, I'll go for that. Well, well, sir, I see your Mexican yeah, snake exactly. tree and I raise you a Nicaraguan dog eating tree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, there is a fundamental problem with the, the you know, at least a cryptid, you, you can't pin it down. It moves. Here's the issue with the plant, isn't it? It's... It, Unless it's a triffid and moves very slowly, these things don't move about, which makes it really hard to make these stories get traction, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, the way that you did it back then, I think, is, ah, well, it's very hard for me to tell you exactly where I was, but I was definitely in Nicaragua. Very very rare, very rare, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's very very rare. Um, But there are... I was looking for the scariest actual plants actual plants that science science. exists and you can you can go and see and i have two uh versions of this so the first one is something we should like i i'd heard of the second i hadn't heard of this one the stinging brush uh it's also known as a mulberry leaved stinger a gimpy uh, or the suicide plant, which I think is probably, 
you know, that gives you a little bit of a clue of wow. uh, how scary it is. So a bit like a nettle, this plant has stinging hairs which cover the whole plant. And rather than just, like, making you go, ow, these things have a really potent neurotoxin. Wow. And uh, the tips of the stinging hairs break off and penetrate the skin to inject the toxin. So it's like having loads of tiny intravenous needles that break off and continue injecting you. Is that a bit like a a stinging nettle? Is that how they work? Yeah, yeah, it's like a stinging nettle, but, like, terribly more dangerous so they although they aren't normally lethal they can be if you are older or have a uh, a health condition they can be but apparently they're incredibly painful and can put you in hospital even healthy people put you in hospital wow. for a few days and where, and where do these, these things exist do we know where they are yeah or, australia of course oh, they are australia yeah there's a message of, there isn't there yeah it, it belongs in the rainforest areas of the northeast of Australia. But, and here's the best bit, if you remove the stinging hairs off the fruit, it's apparently delicious. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd take that risk. <laughs> I had enough with my blowfish incident. I'm not eating one of those. Right, right. So the the fruit is also covered in these stinging hairs, but if you shave it, it's lovely. <laughs> so, so, so it's got hallucinogenic pro- properties as well, right? It can it sends you mad. If right? it's uh, well, if it's a if it's a neurotoxin, I suppose it does. Like the so it's the also it's, known as the suicide plant. It's known as the suicide plant because if you sort of take your clothes off and throw yourself into it, you will die. Right. Because if you don't get any medical attention, you will die. Yeah. Wow. Um. But, like, it does seem excessively dangerous <laughs> for a tree. And, and, and is this, in Australia, is it um, is it quite rare or is it something, if I, if I was brought up in Australia, would I be warned to keep away from them? Is it that, that well, it, prevalent? It, 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 well, it only grows in um, well, the rainforest. Right, it's okay. not very rare, no, no. You can... If you go you to a rainforest, you'll come... Yeah, wow, okay. Yeah, but it won't like unlike all of those cryptid plants, it won't jump out and get you. Like, yeah, you yeah. have to you have to put your hand into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, You'd have to slip on that large rock that's got the thing underneath and fall into it. Yeah, absolutely. And although like not in this deadly category, whilst I was researching this, I came across something. Uh, Sorry, can I called, just say one thing? I just yeah. found an article, and somebody who was stung by it said. It's the worst kind of pain you can imagine. Mm. Well, wow. I'm not going to go near it. No. Wow, that's scary. The, the the other the other scarier, well, not scarier, less scary, but weird. This grows in um, America. the The wild parsnip. I, that that doesn't sound scary at that all, does it? That sounds all right. That's, that's something that I'd have for me Sunday lunch. But this is this is weird because uh, I was like, why is wild parsnip scary? I love parsnips. Roast them, delicious. The sap of the wild parsnip, if you get it on your skin, it m- intensifies UV rays from the sun, so it makes your skin burn within wow. a very short amount of time. There's like a chemical in it, which is the opposite to sun cream. And, and do you, do you um, 
if you get it on your skin, can you feel it or would you be unaware? I don't know. I think you could probably feel it. Like apparently the leaves and stalks, they like they they grow in um sort of dense populations. So I'd imagine like you know when you out walk in and you walk through something and you get covered in the sap of those plants. I'd yeah. imagine you'd you'd find it. It says but when like, the sap touches the body it can cause blisters and symptoms resembling uh symptoms from a burn. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. I wonder if you cook them whether Well, that's how I get my revenge on them. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's so innocuous, isn't it? That's the thing. It's a parsnip. It's just a parsnip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The wild parsnip sounds like a lovely restaurant just sort of near Chipping Camden. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to confuse somebody in uh, in Waitrose next time I'm in there. Can you assure me these parsnips are not wild? You just what? <laughs> well, they're pretty cross. Sir. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. Um, and the the last like because we know there are like unless any of those previous accounts are real there aren't really man-eating plants so i was looking for what is the most damage that a plant can do without actually nice. killing you because we know that there are you know yep. deadly nightshade and stuff like that yep and i i sort of settled on something which i did know about but that is the um the salvia the salvia divinorum um which is latin for the sage of the diviners and so this is a drug is a plant but it's you know can be taken as a drug either as um smoking it a tea or chewing it and it has um very strong psychoactive properties and one of the strangest things about it so I, I found a book full of stories from people who had taken it. Now, if you take it as uh, some people do, like a snuff, so dried, powdered, stored up the nose, you will get an effect for somewhere between 20 seconds and two minutes in real time, in real time. Wow. And, but, but... For the person that is taking it, time changes and the effect it has on you can be quite bizarre. So one of the stories I read was this man who took it and he suddenly became a bedspread and he became a bedspread on his bed for years and he relates that there he was on the bed and the day would start and he would see the sun coming oh up. Oh, my God, that sounds terrifying. And he would observe the seasons change. So he'd look out of the window and it would be snowing or it would be coming sunny. And he, was, he would get frustrated because he wasn't being changed enough. And he would get excited when it came his turn to be washed and then put out on the bedspread again. And then one day, bush, he was back in his head. And to him, years and years and years had passed. But his friend said it was less than a minute. Now that is one of the scariest things I've ever heard. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And this... 
this particular drug has this real tendency with 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 people to to make them believe that they have become inanimate objects so there is um there's a podcast called everything is alive and the stories from this book sound very very similar to that and what is curious about it is that these people when they're in that it's not like a um it's not like they're lucid about what it is they really believe that they are that and so there was another one where somebody was a chair in a museum and they were really jealous of the other chair because (laughs) the security guard always sat in the other chair and not on them and like for the enormous amount of time that they thought that they were this chair, they were getting increasingly annoyed that they were being sidelined as a chair. And they had no concept that they were anything other than a chair. But whilst you're getting into and out of this state, there is also a lot of talk of you see these geometric shapes so it's almost like something out of the matrix people right. describe that they see um hexagonal like blankets of neon patterns stretching into the distance and the universe shape shifting away from the reality that they see into this other reality passing through this peculiar neon hexagonal space and they also report seeing various sorts of consciousnesses and entities so like robots there's even a brilliant story i'm going to save it to do an, another time because i've i've got um i i think it's worthy of a whole episode but there is somebody who meets the potato king in their garden <laughs> when king, they're on is this. that king edward <laughs> That's very good. I hadn't thought of that. Uh, but, but they they meet nature spirits. So he's a nature spirit and um, he's king of all the potatoes. Wow. And that is another... And, and they aren't the only person to meet the potato king. This potato king is seen by various other people. So you are taken into another dimension, but I can't think of anything I could just more see the potato king say, don't talk to me about King Edward bloody usurper (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) what i think is quite interesting about this plant uh is it's part of the um sage family yeah which ties it back to paranormal and burning sage as well interesting yeah smudging yeah and also cooking lamb yeah yeah but yeah weird that sounds why would you do that it doesn't sound like there's much in it for you as a as a recreational activity does it no well i think like it's possibly one of those where if you're a a shaman and you know what you're doing with it then you're probably in a better place that's probably where what it should be used for but there is there is a the my the final fact i will leave you with which is very peculiar is that salvia divinorum which is this very specific sort of sage uh botanists don't know whether it is a hybrid or whether it is naturally occurring because it very rarely produces viable seeds which is very reminiscent of a hybridized plant so it's very possible that salvia is a man-made plant wow yeah 
a, a kind of ancient man-made thing yeah. or recent, right? Okay. Oh, no, ancient, yeah. Yeah, wow. Which would make sense, wouldn't it, if it's got a specific, like you say, you can see shaman and people like that using it in going into trance states and dream states. It, you can see how it might have been cultivated to... Yeah, 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 yeah totally, yeah, yeah. That's but, bonkers. But there we go, those, those are... That is my That's dangerous great. plants summary. Um, and all I will say is, like, I know there'll be a number of you going, oh, funguses are really dangerous. Yeah, that is true. And we could talk at length about funguses, but, like, either they contain elements which will send you on a trip or they basically destroy your internal organs. That yeah. is kind of how That's fungi work. Yeah, and there is there is obviously a bit of a debate as to whether you know are fungi part of a third? They're not not animal, not uh, vegetable. Perhaps that is yeah. that is also debatable. But then the general thing is they're not a lot of fun to talk about. <laughs> so, like they may be fungi, but they're not fun to talk. About. <laughs> you you took the words. Right I did out of my take mouth. the bait. I was trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> but but like it, you know, if in doubt, only eat things that you buy in Waitrose and other supermarkets that are available. Um, but yeah. uh, keep if you're in a wood, keep your dog on a lead. Yeah. Particularly if you're in Nicaragua. Yeah. And and if there's a uh, there's if, one that looks like a pineapple-y type thing with a nice kind of honey nectar at the top, just don't climb in. That is true. Maybe just stick to lilt because that has got pineapple in yeah, and it's go. safe. I've got to say, if if people have tuned in to, to this thinking it was Gardener's Question Time, they're in for a real shock, aren't they? I mean, yes. It's got to be the spiciest <laughs> Gardener's Question Time ever. Uh, although that would be a level of... Uh, strangeness considering we are called the quantum mechanics <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yes but once um, you've once you've been on the salvia divinorum who knows what's going to happen that's right like for the love of god never take that no never, never take that never. could you imagine being a chair for 12 years yeah yeah just don't do it just well, and, don't and, do and it. if and if you're your only you know, thing that you look forward to is is some massive security guy sitting on you. That's your highlight of your life. That you don't. Why would you want to go there? No, you don't want to. No, if you need anything mind altering, just get some really nice real ale and then and leave it at that. For yeah. the love of God. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that has been enlightening. Well, thank you. And I'd very much like to hear from anybody who might have come across any other legends of man or animal eating plants that I haven't discovered, because I do think they're interesting. And, and it'd be quite nice if there was one from a Western country, like, you know, the French squirrel eating tree or something. Yeah. Well, um, we've described a lot of different things today. So this will definitely be one of those episodes where you want to go to facebook at tqm podcast and check out the photo album that goes with this there'll be a link in the 
description of the podcast as well, which you can cut and paste and have a look while we're talking because it's been quite useful to look at some of the images while we've been listening to the podcast. Um, so if you just finished, sorry, I should have given you that advice earlier, but go back and listen again. Um, also, if you go to our Facebook or Twitter at TQM Podcast, like, follow, really helps us out. And uh, we also love any feedback and hearing for you, whether you're a believer, skeptic or somewhere in between. And the other thing that really helps us out if you like what you hear and you've got a friend who you think might be interested in these stories and the chat, please recommend us to them. Even download it on their device. Every listener helps. It's a bit like rabbit breeding. If if you can give two people our podcast and they give two people the podcast, then soon we've got a warren full of listeners and that is what helps the show keep going. Oh, I, like, I might change that to our ta- tagline. <laughs> With the quantum mechanics, it's a bit like rabbit breeding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a lot in life is like rabbit breeding, yeah. I find. Excellent. Particularly at our age. Don't even know what that means. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we'll <laughs> we will see you next time on the quantum see mechanics. See you next time. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics